Hello, how are you? Welcome back, or if it's your first time, welcome to the Mahamakan podcast. I am that dude whose name is on the podcast. Um, this is a fortnightly philosophy and lifestyle podcast where I unpack creative people's philosophies and stories for your personal growth and development. Bit of self-help, bit of self-improvement, bit of philosophy, lots of shit jokes. Uh, it's good quality stuff. This week is no different. I have an interview for you with Anna Rose Charlton. Anna Rose is the founder of Empire's End, which has the best classical history memes on the internet. I don't care what anybody says. Um, she's also an actress, um, a presenter on RTE Pulse, DJ, nail queen, classist, all the good stuff. Um, and in this conversation, we're talking about, you know, memes, ancient Greece, uh, the world coming to an end, having weird prophecies and dreams and imagining that, you know, bushes are talking to you in ancient times and how that relates to what's going on now and where we're at as a culture and as a people. Um, it's a lot of fun, so I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. So without further ado, here's the interview. Boom. Welcome back, everybody. I'm here today with Anna Rose Charlton, the founder of Empire's End, singer, DJ, classist, and nail queen also. Welcome, Anna Rose. Is that the best introduction you've ever had? I regret putting that as my... (laughs) Yeah, well, it's my Instagram bio, but I feel bad because my nails are really short at the moment. One of them them broke last week, so they're all really short at the moment, so I can't... I don't have, like, a fancy manicure to show off. Not representing enough for the title. I apologize. No, I'm ju- I'm just not rapping. No, I'm just not rapping right now. So I apologize. The rest of it's all true, though. Sick. Well, the topic today, I suppose, thankfully, is going to be avoiding nails for you. So it'll be mainly around Empire's End, because as we were saying before this, like, I stumbled upon it and I was like, okay, memes, ancient Greece, I'm in. This is brilliant. Like, it was like the kind of some of the most artful meme curation. Like, I, it's... It's really brilliant. So I just wanted to learn more and like, you know, how did it start? How did you get into it? And, you know, just learn a bit about it. Yeah, I mean, so the whole Empire's End thing is a very recent invention. I only started that page in uh, December. I think the first post went up in December. Um, And um, I mean, I've kind of, where I came at... um, where I'm really interested in the ancient world, particularly in ancient Greece and mythology and also in Greek plays, um, because my background, as I was saying a minute ago, we share a huge interest in plays and in playwriting. Um, My background is musical theatre. And I guess I kind of came at like my interest in the ancient world from three different places. Firstly, from um, the this is like this is quite random but the orthodox church um one of my family members is uh orthodox greek orthodox so um you know that's just part of my childhood growing up has been involved been involved in the greek orthodox church um and they are very um interested in obviously the ancient world um 
And then secondly, it's to do with the plays. I love reading Greek plays. I love Greek mythology. I absolutely love, you know, th- the classics like Medea and, you know, <laughs> Oedipus. And I mean, I could list a hundred more. I've got a whole bookshelf here full of them. Um, and then also I did Leaving Cert Classics, which sounds like it's funny because I feel like some of the classes that you do in secondary school I've basically forgotten most of the things I learned from my leaving cert but I remember so clearly everything that we did in our class we just had a really fun time Mm. yeah it's it's it was it was so much fun like really it was and also with my younger brother we read the Percy Jackson books I love them which were kind of like such a huge fan they're brilliant like yeah they're so good and Mm. Rick Reardon yeah and I I I keep hearing Americans butchering because it's such an Irish name I think he is American but it's such an Irish name mm. Rick Reardon I mean I just I know how to pronounce Reardon I was kind of worried I butchered do. it there but um, I think that might be the right one <laughs> I'm not sure. no I, I think we're correct I think it's just how like any random person here in Dublin would have would pronounce Reardon um but they're calling him like a like Reardon you know and that's kind of funny <laughs> like but um they they <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, but they butchered the original film adaptation of Percy Jackson. They're making it into a TV series now. So, um, yeah, I mean, I suppose the ancient world to me is kind of a combination of fantastical and also quite grounding because it's fun to me to think about, like, you know, these events. Like if you read Herodotus or Plutarch, They'll describe a historical event, but they'll also include like insane details. Like they'll be like, oh, and at this point, when he was running over the mountain to Sparta, the messenger Phaedipides ran into Pan, you know, the half goat (laughs) god of nature. And they'll say this as if it's fact. And I'm obsessed with that. You know, I'm like, why, why tell things and not include hallucinations that a man who just run 100 miles with no sleep had why not include the hallucination i think it's great include the hallucination as if it's fact so i love it for that kind of fantastical element and then i also love um when you read like you know i mean i was reading about socrates getting expelled from athens the other day you know the original billy oh, no mates like man. because he just wouldn't Favorite. stop questioning people socrates um, he wouldn't stop questioning Loved people it. and everybody everybody hated him for it um so if you use the Socratic method on someone today, like if they're trying to tell you something and you just keep going, why? And how does that work? And what is that? You know, if you, if you, they'll, they'll get really angry. So it's kind of this interesting twofold thing to me that it's both extremely fantastical and also human nature has not changed in like 5,000 years. Yeah, so yeah, that's that's, why I'm kind that's of the big thing because also like world. you know why do people find these stories still relevant? Like I'm the same. Like where I find them so like yeah. was so into them when I was younger. Love Percy Jackson and still love them and still love Socrates and like there's something about them that still seems so relevant. Although the fact that it's so ridiculous, like they're like when you read them these stories of like Zeus like turning people into swans and like doing just like there's this kind of it's insane, but also can be oddly relatable do you find that with um well zeus zeus in particular i think is the og like harvey weinstein character like just he was a dodgy dodgy bad guy he did yeah really 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 dodgy fella and um most of the stories about zeus i mean what's interesting to me um is coming at it from a theatrical perspective zeus isn't in any of the plays because it was against the religion of the time Mm -hmm. a bit like you know the way you can't depict muhammad you couldn't show zeus on stage so they had him doing as common zeus as an as an invention as a character all of the greek gods were meant to show human flaws and zeus showed the potential 
things that would cause the downfall of the great man which is the classic greek drama the downfall of a great man you just think of the classic example which is oedipus um mm. And he was never shown on stage, but he was described off stage as doing all these terrible things. But because he was Zeus, um, because they still believed in him as a deity, he could never face any repercussions for it. So I think it's um, an interesting mirror to uh, real life. All these people, not just men, but people mm-hmm. who have enough power to get away with doing despicable things and not facing repercussions. Yeah, for and it. the Greek gods, I tend to think of them like in a psychological way, almost that they represent like bits of the personality or emotions. Like you have like you know Ares the god yeah. of war you have like Aphrodite love and the, they, they kind of this the whole panoply is like a way of describing the complexity of like our psychological world that we don't really understand and I wonder these days this might be a bit out there to be honest yeah. for the start of a podcast but um, the relevance of ancient Greece to now where we live in like a secular society and we don't have like the monotheism I think we live in a time that's very similar to that. Like, there's a lot of creativity. There's a lot of things changing. There's all these emerging things. That's something that kind of interests me about ancient Greece. I wonder, do you see any parallels there? Or am I just, you know, talking nonsense? No, you're not talking nonsense at all. And there's a reason I've called the page and I've called the channel and, you know, everything, the the brand, as it were, for what I'm doing that I've just started. Mm -hmm. There's a reason I've called it Empire's End. And um, that reason is because, um, in my opinion, based on my knowledge of ancient history, we are currently potentially witnessing the end of an empire, um, the American empire. Now, the Americans pretend that they're not an empire, um, just like the Brits before. No, the Brits were open about the fact that they were an empire. But a lot of empires, you know, the world power often will be in kind of superficial denial about the fact that they are an empire by the way i'm not dragging the americans for having an empire there always is a great world power but um (laughs) a couple of things um yes there are a lot of parallels to be drawn between now and between certain periods of ancient greece certain periods of ancient rome certain periods of byzantium and britain and you know all these different eras that we've had historically um because an empire traditionally statistically the average length of an empire is about 250 years so the americans is 250 years or about 10 generations so that's kind of where the america it's exactly where the americans are at right now and there's a ton of different signs you can see of an empire in decline um and i can go through them if you want to hear them um but i would prefer for the empire for the american empire to rally because i think it is in many ways, very positive. You know, I mean, I'm a Western woman and I'm sitting here wearing leggings, you know, in many other empires throughout history that was simply not allowed. The fact that I'm even able to have a conversation, a free conversation like this with you as you're a male, I'm a female in ancient Greece, I, w- I would have been 100% a secondary citizen. Um, yeah, so I'm Greeks a fan so, of many. So no, they're, they're a little bit on the sexist side, just a tad, but you know, it's fine. No, it's, <laughs> it's slavery, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not so good. Yeah, they, they, couple of flaws, couple of flaws. But every society has flaws. I think everyone should be should be aware, uh, wary of someone who promises you a utopia on planet Earth because it doesn't exist. But um, yeah, the reason I think there's a lot of parallels to be drawn between the mm-hmm. period that we're currently in historically and different periods that have come before because I think we are witnessing a change. And I don't know how it's going to manifest itself, but there's, like I said, there's a couple of different signs of an empire <laughs> yeah. decline that I'm seeing at the moment. Don't look, 
brilliant. Um, yeah, kind of like if you're reading yeah. like an oracle, looking at the signs, you'd be like, eh, this probably isn't so good. Um, but there's another interesting thing as well. Yeah, which I think is Delphi like, would be like, yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs> be, Delphi yeah, would be like, worried. use your eyes, stop bothering me. <laughs> no, she'd, just be go like, just, she'd be like, use your intuition, hun. Yeah, go outside, touch grass. You can figure this one out on your own. There's another interesting bit to that as well, though, which is the coming back of stoicism, which is something I got really into during the lockdown. I actually mm. had Donald Robertson on the podcast. Yeah. He's like big stoic author. Awesome dude. Brilliant. Like he's a CBT pr- practitioner, but also uh, a stoic writer. And he like mixes the two. Yeah. But the fact that like millions of people are getting into stoicism again, something that's been gone functionally for what, like a thousand five hundred years. Um, I think is a sign as well that we're we're looking for that something to make sense of it. But a lot of the time yeah. people throw away the mythology. So I'm interested that you're kind of keeping the mythology. And I think maybe the dramatic element to it as well, because it's something I find really good in terms of like theater and stuff. Is that something that draws you to it? The kind of the stories and the... Yeah, I don't know if that's sensible. But. Well, uh, yeah, no, no, I, I completely get what you're what you're saying. So, like I said, um, I come from like quite a religious family. I mean, different levels of religion, you know. I mean, there's no kind of mm. like, <laughs> if you're thinking Amish, it's definitely not that. But like, <laughs> yeah. definitely members of my family okay. would be, yeah, mm. not that at all. Again, like I said, I'm wearing leggings. You know, I'm fine. I'm yeah. doing okay. Um, but um, yeah, I think the there's a huge amount. You said um, a couple of minutes ago that we're in, I would say certainly in Ireland, the the sins of the Catholic Church, in my opinion, as someone who's definitely does not consider myself Catholic, um, the sins of the Catholic Church are at this point far too great to rally back from now in this country, certainly. I think mm-hmm. the UK has been quite post-Christian for quite a long time. Um, they were almost ahead of us in that but they have a different relationship with christianity because obviously they have the church of england they have you know a whole load of different things we were very catholic and it was very much part of our national identity and now that's been hugely thumpingly taken away from us as a country the americans as well i think they have kind of well america you know i have a lot to say obviously about america and the state of what's going on with them but like they have almost like this 50 50 split of like really strong religious fundamentalism and then really strong almost like atheist fundamentalism so Mm -hmm. it's not just stoicism that's coming back stoicism is coming back hugely and i'm a big marcus aurelius fan he's probably he's my second favorite roman emperor after caligula caligula the worst roman emperor the most chaotic the most tyrannical the most murderous he's my favorite because you know it's rome and you should have the the craziest person as your favorite yeah so i'm like the best emperor we're giving him the secondary slot and the worst we're giving him number one he's Caligula is my favorite because he was the worst and Marcus Aurelius is my second favorite because he was the best but um aside from stoicism coming back there's also people getting really into like manifestation and like the secret have you noticed that um which to me is really just a form of prayer you know like if you kind of if you're like if the universe is the deity and the affirmations are the like our father who art in heaven um and then you kind of promise good behavior you promise action in return for reaction um i think there's a huge amount of people who are really majorly looking for meaning out there um Mm. and people are looking in all kinds of places stoicism is definitely one i think manifest manifestation is another huge one um and then of course you have um you have all kinds of things and you have people who believe in social causes as their ideology um you have people 
yeah, who believe in all kinds Conspiracy of things, but I think you're 100 percent right that and kind of like kids, spirituality stuff yeah. as well is making a big comeback. Yeah. Um, Mm. yeah uh, but uh, yeah i wonder i mean the ancient greek kind of section of that is interesting because it's one that i kind of gravitate to myself and like i guess i'm trying to like yeah. peer into a little bit because you're into the same thing and the kind of but i love mm. ancient egypt as well i suppose and all those kind of yeah same the foundations really of western society like you can trace it back certainly that far to the early kind of inception but like pre-biblical i feel like we have such a catholic mm. hangover and so, like, I was raised, like, without religion or anything, but all my friends were Catholic. And That's interesting. the neighborhood was Catholic. And so I was kind of an outsider on that. I never really into it, but still myself could feel the need for some sort of story to make sense in my life or some story. Like, I was very drawn yeah. to stories. And because I didn't have the Christian one, I kind of gravitated more towards the other ones. Um which seemed more, also a bit more exciting. I don't know. The mythology is like yeah. a bit more crack. But um, it yeah. is. No, it definitely is. It's a lot more. Um, well, I feel as well the way that they depict, you know, I mean, to talk about what we were saying about the Greek gods, they're all specifically depicted as having flaws. Um, whereas, mm. you know, Jesus Christ is more depicted as being almost like a, no, not almost, as being, you know, a perf- the perfection of the human form. And when he does something wrong, it's flipping a table. It's not, you know, ca- doing like wronging someone, you know, and then he dies for humankind. Whereas I think, yeah, the interesting thing about mythology is they're all presented as extremely flawed characters. I find it really yeah, interesting. Yeah, they're pretty too. fucked up. And, like, and even the in... heroes are fucked up. Like, yeah. Like Oedipus is like, yes. it's the craziest story. I was writing a book, actually, uh, like a South Dublin version of Oedipus. We're like bringing him back if he grew up like oh, wow. in Black Rock. <laughs> and, wow. But so interesting to read the three <laughs> books of Sophocles and like what he was on about. Yeah. Because like Oedipus after his life became like a holy man, even though he did like, you know, the most unspeakable after he, thing. After he gouged his eyes out. Mm, yeah. 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 No, mm. the three Theban plays are a really interesting. They're a really interesting read. And I think, um, well, the story of Oedipus... I mean, the, you know, I mean, to bring it back to what we were saying about Harvey Weinstein, I think the Greek story archetype of the downfall of a great man is you see it just again and again and again. So you can take the story of Oedipus and put it anywhere in the world. You can put it in South Dublin, you can put it in Timbuktu, you can put it on Mars and it will be, it will hit the same. And I think a big question that a lot of the Greek playwrights had were if you were a cursed person, would you rather have as Oedipus had, you know, should we say, he, he was probably pretty young when it all went down, um, but should we say 40 years of like a blessed life and then one year of horror, it all comes crashing down. Or would you rather have the flip of that, the redemption, which is you're treated as a pariah for 40 years and then right before you die for the last year of your life, you're redeemed. And you can kind of, you know, w- which would you choose? And that was a big philosophical question at the time. Um but there's far more stories about the downfall than there is about the redemption. The tragic. And it does kind of, I mean, there's, it reminds me of the book of Job as well. Like his kind of the whole bet between like mm. God and the devil of see how much they could ruin his life, um, which was not so sound. But yeah. um, the Oedipus one, well, I mean. The, it's the idea yeah. of. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I'm just thinking of like, yeah, I'm just thinking of, um, it, it's kind of interesting because it's the idea of, um, it's it's the absence of free will it's the opposite of free will it's predestination and fate and all these kinds of things and i think everyone would like i know that i 
sometimes fall into that trap of being like if it's meant to be it'll be and then ha- and then the other half of the time I fall into the other trap which is like I have to make it happen and you know it's it's this funny push pull between having agency and then also having some cosmic power looking after you because we'd all love to know for sure that there was a cosmic power looking after us and the great tragedy of humanity is we 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 don't we don't we don't know we don't know there might be there's yeah the stoicism that just ties into Mm -hmm. it so nicely that like the foundational thing Mm -hmm. is like you know what you can control and what you can't control and figuring out what that is and that that kind of eases the suffering of like thinking are you blessed or are you cursed or are you like but the greeks seem to wrestle with that very deeply in a way that is so like still can be felt by people today which is kind of yeah yeah. no hugely hugely but it's, it's interesting well that that comes back to what i was saying about the fact that human nature in as long as feelings have been written down has never changed you know sophocles was wondering about the same things that we're wondering about which is kind of mad to think isn't it yeah often better than we are as well which is the really annoying thing you'd think in 2000 years we would have gotten better (laughs) writing and stuff but like (laughs) they still yeah and that's kind of that's kind of the amazing thing because it's like clearly Mm. like you know there is a peak to human philosophical thought and it was reached and then has been repeatedly reached again and again but like we just we can't get any higher like that this is clearly it that's clearly as far as it goes for the human brain yeah and that there's some sort of ceiling but like the ones that kind of go on it's also a good kind Mm. of test i think if it survives for two thousand years like it must have something (laughs) yeah of value to say like stuff on the internet lasts 10 minutes like let alone yeah two and a half thousand years um, I know but, it's mm. I know it's bizarre isn't it it's very strange and are you learning ancient Greek was that something that are you learning some of ancient Greek I wasn't sure I know a little bit but like mm. it's not I can't kind of I couldn't unfortunately chat away to Alexander or Sophocles if they rocked up in the 20th 21st century 20th century who do I think I am I, I was ba- I barely spent any <laughs> time on this earth in the 20th century yeah what year is this like we're was that like six when the millennium here. happened five or six like yeah they were traveling back in time yeah wishful thinking um but um no I mean I I'm not I, I don't really properly speak it but I think um actually there's so many translations that you don't really need to speak it but I, I do know some and I am kind of slowly learning a bit more because there's a lot of I mean the thing that I thought was interesting there is like the concepts that they have that we don't have you run into that a lot in philosophy whereby like mm-hmm. I saw that you were, did a video on eight Greek words for love and kind of the different yeah. kinds of love that they have that was something I was kind of familiar with in like you know Philia is kind of like a a friendship and then eros is a kind of like overbearing lust and then agape is a kind of like mentorly love whereas we just have the word love like we don't have any you know there's a kind of depth to i wonder does it change it feels very simplistic yeah Mm. um well i think actually i mean it's so interesting isn't it like language the anthropology of language is something that's actually really interesting to me because i read this study years ago um of this anthropologist who went to two different places he went to 
uh, a part of South Africa and he went to a part of Sub-Saharan Africa. And when he thought, and he, he naively thought, and it's so funny because it makes so much sense logically that he was like, you know what I'll do to crack these languages? I'll bring a color wheel and I'll get them, I'll get the natives because he went to a very remote tribe in Sub-Saharan Africa and then he went to another very remote tribe in like South Africa um so sub-saharan was a lot more like you know sub-saharan and then South Africa was a lot more tropical um and he went with a color wheel and he discovered that like it really isn't as simple it's nowhere near as simple as saying okay this is green this is blue this blue is the color of the sky green is the color of the grass because he was dealing in a place that didn't have grass so when he was in sub-saharan Africa they had they could name like 50 they had 50 different names for 50 different shades of green because they needed to know the colors of the insects and the snakes and the plants that were edible and the plants that would kill you and they were all different shades of green and they had completely different words and they had no way of wrapping their heads around the fact that green could be all one color because it was just way too important to their survival to classify within the shades of green and then when he tried to call water blue they were like, that's insane. Water <laughs> is like, white. Like, how second. can you even say that? What? Yeah, they were like, no, 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 no. Water is not blue. And then, you know, and then uh, things like, because I think they classified it like as per like the clouds or something. Um, and then when he went to the more tropical part of Africa down in the south, um, he again brought the color wheel and he was like, okay, maybe it'll work this time. And he discovered that within the colors of yellow, they used it to describe age. So they had like five different shades of yellow to describe how new something was and five different, different shades of green to describe how new something was as well. And then when he tried to say, you know, this is red, they were like, but it's only three days old. That's not red. That's like, that's something else, <laughs> you know? Like, I mean, and he was just what like... What are these people talking about? Yeah. This is madness. Yeah, yeah, and it's so interesting because like we're we're all human beings with the same brains and, you know, no matter what, mm. like no matter where you're from you do have the same brain you have the same broad likelihood of being a genius or being of average intelligence or anything like that no matter whereabouts on the earth you're born but um the environment you are raised in will completely and utterly change your perspective on absolutely everything so the greeks i mean i always think of like the mediterranean you know it's quite hot down there and blood runs quite hot and i know from you know just experience of being around Mediterranean people they're so friendly and they have such strong emotions so it's not surprising to me that they would have eight different words for love whereas you know a, a, a good another example of the color thing here in Ireland is um there's actually a direct example from this country which is that in the old Irish poetry the sky is described as gray and there is no word for blue and there is no word for purple um because the sky in Ireland newsflash is usually gray like really like it's it's blue you know i don't know a couple of weeks out of the year the rest of the time it, it's overwhelmingly gray and so is water so sky was gray and water was gray so the brits came over and tried to speak to us in their english language and they were like why are you calling the sky gray the sky is blue and we were like what like what is what is what is this color you're talking about and the brits were like there's this color called blue and you need to get on board with it because that's the color of the sky and that's the color of water and we were like Okay, that doesn't sound true. We're going to keep calling... Yeah, we're going to keep calling the water grey and we're going to keep calling the sky grey. And if we see something that seems like it might be blue, we'll call it blue. So then when Irish people for the first time saw black people, um, they got called dinagurum, which means a blue person, because they were mm. told that this colour blue existed and they'd never seen it. So they thought a human with different coloured skin was this new colour, blue. 
Man, that is crazy. It's so interesting, like, isn't it? It's so, yeah, yeah how language affects it's like, mad. the construction of the world and makes you kind yeah. of. Yeah, and a it lot of people. reminded me of something. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was um, just going to say, just, just to, to, to button the colour thing, because I could talk about colour for hours and hours and hours. I find mm. the whole anthropology of colour so interesting. But a lot of people thought that the ancient Greeks were colourblind um, because they had eight different words for love, but they didn't have... They, there's no recorded words of colour. Like, they say the wine-dark really? sea. You know, the, the yeah, the famous thing in the Odyssey is they describe the sea as wine-dark and they describe the eyes of Athena as flashing, which then was translated by different scholars as grey and as, like, grey for the eyes, the grey eyes of Athena. Um even though it's not great, the word is flashing. Um, and then the wine dark sea, they would say, oh, you know, the, the, the dark blue sea. But they never said that. So they thought that the ancient Greeks were colorblind. But they weren't. They just focused on different things. Like how to describe I accurately what knew. type of love you're feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, different priorities, I suppose. And they have, like in philosophy, yeah. you always run into that. Like the Greek words that are kind of slightly like they're, they make sense in philosophical context. But then when you take them out of that, you're kind of like, what mm. is... What is this to do with things? There was one I always loved, which was Kairos, which is like the right moment. But it, in their eyes, it was like the right moment of the gods. So it was like it was taken in Jungian mm. psychology to mean like a synchronicity or this kind of like coincidental moment between like the inner and outer world. And like there's just no right. like there just isn't a good English version of that. Like what, what they meant by mm. it and what we mean by it are such like worlds apart Um so that's why I love. So kind of a moment of we fate. Yeah, like a moment. Yeah, Kairos, of, it, would it be it like was a, described yeah. as moment from the gods, or like uh, mm. like the right moment. Um, Jung kind that's of so took it on after that and changed it a bit t- towards his kind of psychology. But um, as far as I understand, it's like a significant moment that kind of like comes about. Theirs would have been more religious um, than what he was doing. Yeah. But, that's so interesting yeah i love words like that that just have no translation i think they're great i mean even a modern example is schadenfreude in german you know mm. you, you when you feel joy at someone else's discomfort which we don't have a word for in english yeah we don't have enough words like we need to start start digging into them some more no but um yeah we need it, it we need another mm. shakespeare to come up with a whole lot of new words make some neologisms along the way um and is there anything <laughs> yes. like in your your exploration then so like when you were thinking about these different kinds of love and these different kinds of i mean did it change the way that you looked at things after that did you think after it and like did it cause a kind of did it change the way you conceptualize love um in these different ways um yeah, sort of. The The words for love will be one that I've known about for quite a while. Um, yeah. But I think um, I think my favorite one is definitely that the ancient Greeks had a specific word for puppy love, which is ludus, um, mm-hmm. which just reminds me of... It's, it's funny because it's linked to the word for the moon. And like we said, a lot of people who are looking for meaning are, are looking at like doing moon rituals. I've done a couple of moon rituals. We have a great time. It's okay, so much fun. Don't also. buy into I'm it too intrigued. much. <laughs> yeah, no. It, it, me, and, me and my girlfriends over lockdown we did a couple of moon rituals where we just get a bottle of wine and like sit on the roof of one of the girls apartment the buildings and like 
yeah and just be like what are we manifesting under the moon it was kind of more of an excuse to like have a little bit of a chat but i know a lot of people do do moon rituals and take them really seriously but um ludus is linked to the moon which is linked to and obviously the moon is linked to you know water and it's linked a lot to like women's menstrual cycles and stuff so ludus was a kind of a disparaging way to describe a teenage girl with a crush and also then if you think about like what howls at the moon it's a wolf or a dog yeah so ludus literally means puppy love which is funny because it still exists in its exact form today and then also mania or how i should pronounce it in greek which would be mania um is obsession which has not changed its meaning ever mania it still means exactly what the greeks said it meant obsession by calvin klein yeah and does that have a connection because i was thinking lunatic you know like luna and people always say like in a hundred percent people get crazy and there's yeah mm. yeah okay. lunatic is is a really great example yeah only lunatic would be less about love i would think would you think mm-hmm. lunatic is more about madness but yeah i that's don't know if i'd associate the moon percent. with love exactly as well i mean was this moon ritual that you did yeah. was this directly related to love or was this more of a kind of soul searching no. moon ritual was there <laughs> was it just wine it was it was it was related to the fact that um we were all living near each other and it was the rule of six in lockdown so oh that was what so that was the, another kairos yeah. kind of <laughs> yeah exactly but um it was a it was a full moon a couple of weeks ago and i saw um this girl who i follow on instagram who does a lot of like manifestation stuff on youtube mm-hmm. her name's ella ringrose and she went to a full-blown moon ritual party for the full moon down on port marnock beach and there was like port easily marnock 300 people beach. there i saw on her instagram moon rituals. yeah what yeah i know it's mad isn't it but it comes back to this like search for meaning that we have in this increasingly Mm. post-christian western world people are looking for meaning everywhere because as human beings we kind of really we really need it you know we need to yeah that's really hit the nail on the head yeah Mm. and Mm. then there's an interesting i don't know if you know john verveke he's a canadian psychologist who does a lot of work on no i don't um a lecture series called uh, awakening from the meaning crisis which is actually really, really good. Okay. But he talks a lot about the... And what does was, he say about it? Well, it's like a 50 lecture series. So he's, <laughs> he says quite a bit. Um, it's like, it's really intense. Like he uses, <laughs> he's basically using like cognitive science to re-engineer ancient wisdom for like the modern world. So you'd definitely be really into oh, it. Like so a lot of the same stuff. Yeah. Um, but he talks about agape mm. a lot in his work. And he talks about that yeah. being what's missing from our society. The way he looks at it mm. is almost like a person like a parent's love for a baby like you're not like friends with a baby you're not you know the baby's just no. there and it's just like you know it's just come into the world it can't you know get you a beer it can't really do anything it's just but you want it to be something you have this love for it to grow and become something eventually um and he links that to mm. agape and that that's like the fundamental christian value as well that god um like that's a the nurturing love a nurturing love mm. or a love for yeah. yeah a love for growth and even if the growth leads beyond yourself um is what he talks about so interesting this lack of kind of our well this value of nourishing well i think that's a very valuable thing to talk about in the context of like you know the shared global experience we've all just gone through which was a huge amount of isolation under covid19 um and yep. the lockdowns and all that kind of stuff i think um there was a huge, I know that I've been affected by 
obviously the amount of isolation that we've all gone through. I know everyone has. Um, but I think it's interesting that different people who are at different stages of life with different needs have been affected differently. You know, like I think the the kids who miss school and the students who miss college, who've missed that specific nurturing um, mm. are going to probably feel, I think they're really feeling the pinch right now. And I think they're going to potentially continue to feel it unless something's done, unless like really there's a huge effort made to kind of, come together because I remember at the beginning of COVID thinking it was potentially a great opportunity for like huge global unity but it ha- unfortunately hasn't really been that potentially because no there it's is been that very divisive of... unfortunately um, and it really doesn't need to be again it's I feel like it's be- it's because some people l- like you said you know they're adopting conspiracy theory as their as their belief system you know it's um yeah it's a shame but agape nurturing and kind of is he kind of getting at like how important family structures are when he says all that i think there's a family i think to be honest the angle he's mostly coming at it from is a type of moral development that has to occur in people so like Mm. if for this love if this love takes place it nurtures people to become like moral citizens in a sense and in a society where it's absent um it's impossible for people to kind of grow properly. We're going to have these like issues basically. Um, Not specifically, like he does link it to the alienation and the meaning crisis also, but in somehow it connects to the meaning that it's so one of the most meaningful things is the mentorship, mentoring other people, people mentoring you and feeling this kind of community. Um, I'm probably butchering it, but it's a, I just kind no, of related I, it to no, what you I were th- saying about the a, differences in love. Well, I think, um, yeah, I think the lack of community. Yeah, I think the the losing the church um, and the lack of community there. I mean, even not for like religious reasons. I think a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of older people um, who potentially have also maybe semi turned their backs on Catholicism because of the terrible things that have happened within the church they still go to the church for a sense of community and it's really interesting in the orthodox church because it's a minority religion in Ireland um, Mm. there's a lot more a huge amount more of a sense of community which is really interesting Um, and I remember speaking to one of my friends who was Catholic in the UK because that's obviously Catholicism is very much a minority religion in the UK Um, and they said that when they went to the Catholic church there was always like a little you know get together afterwards people would chat people would have tea and coffee and they'd have a bit of cake and then everybody would chat and then they'd go whereas if you went to a protestant service same as if you go to a catholic service here you literally go and then you leave and you don't speak to anyone or hang out with anyone and there's no like coming certainly not in dublin there's not really any coming together of the parish you just go and you leave whereas in the churches with the that are more of a minority there's a real sense of community Mm, and it's important to have in a society Mm. Mm. yeah and what is it that joins us together i think even an even bigger problem like the same issue but also like what what's kind of the shared aim i think when everybody has a shared religion together mm. you have something you can say what the most important thing is and now like the conspiracy stuff and the different kind of like cultural fracturing that's going on is a lot about what's important yeah. like what should we care about what matters what's the most important thing and everybody's kind of arguing about it whereas those religious societies yeah. have it unites them together because they have a you know a god i suppose of some yeah. sort. Well, did you see 
did you see after they um, lifted the restrictions? Because obviously they've basically completely lifted restrictions here in Ireland, which is amazing. Mm. Like, well done to everyone for getting vaccinated. <laughs> Don't have any yeah, more restrictions. Fuck. It's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. But they, yeah, thank fuck is right. Um, but there was still a, an anti-lockdown protest. Like two days after they lifted the restrictions, the whole of Grafton Street was shut down and a whole lot of people went in and like went to this anti-lockdown rally. And it's like, what are you... F- fighting for like you 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 know you wanted lockdown to end and and it has so clearly there's a much deeper thing going on here that you feel you need to go to a lock an anti-lockdown rally two days after the lockdown has been completely ended like yeah so again i think it's just people finding these communities and i think what's really important is that people don't end up in a community that's really really toxic like the you know the can the really scary conspiracy theory communities I there's a lot of those online on i think yeah the well the internet yeah. is really bad well, for it, this... i think because algorithms and you know organizing people into groups that are you know you might have mad opinions to yourself but you can meet thousands of other people online that share yeah. them and <laughs> you're kind of like before your friends yeah. would be like what are you doing but now there's these echo chambers yeah. <laughs> There's a, yeah, there's a huge amount of echo chambers. No, there, re- there, re- there really, really is. I really agree with that. Um, and I think that it's just, I think that it's probably been, I, I think it definitely has been massively exacerbated because everyone spent the past, the guts of the past two years, like with their, like on their screens at home. Yeah. So um, I had this app on my phone just for texting. Um, it's like WhatsApp, but it's like, as i now know there's a whole it's called telegram there's a whole load of like crazy 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 conspiracy theory group chats on there so me and one of my friends as like a hilarious joke we like joined all these bizarre group chats and then eventually i just got to the point where i was like i need to delete this app off my phone i can't have this negativity on my phone and what were you talking to people about like what was the oh you don't no you don't talk in them basically they're like (laughs) run by they're like run by one person and they just post like all this crazy stuff in it like all this anti-vax stuff like all this stuff that's like really really obviously not true like you know you know the classic one the debunked thing that you'll get autism from a vaccine which is just completely not true it was literally made up by the guy who popularized it he completely just made up the whole thing um yeah that's him isn't it andrew wakefield yeah um but it's it's so interesting to see like because people like these groups have hundreds of thousands of members all over the world and it's clearly just people who are suffering in isolation joining these crazy ass group chats and getting increasingly radicalized yeah i also think it's so hard like with complicated i think nowadays we're we're asked to form opinions on such complicated things and so many complicated Mm -hmm. things like you're expected to be informed about everything that's going on in the world and like Mm. you know I need to get up and go to work in the morning. Like I can't afford to be researching everything that's going on ever. Like, so there's such a, people are pressurized to just join a group or join some sort of like, you know, pick your team, whatever your personality kind of tilts you towards. Mm. Um, And it doesn't create a very good. Or whatever your friends are doing. Exactly. Or whatever your friends are doing. I mean, I think, Mm. yeah, the, the peer pressure angle is very real. And I think as well, a lot of people, particularly sites like, twitter you know where you have such a small word count and also it's so public um Mm. so you know people will explain an idea 
like a really 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 bastardized version of an idea (laughs) is that what it is 280 characters i try to stay off twitter as much as possible yeah and they'll explain yeah. yeah and then people will get they'll be like oh but like you know your 280 characters didn't encapsulate the entire life of marcus aurelius and it's like obviously it didn't (laughs) and then people were like i'm i'm sorry for that was it completely yeah and then people were kind of yeah and also um another thing about social media is i saw like an official i think i'm pretty sure it was an official report from facebook itself or maybe not but um Mm. they admitted or some some external party this was like annoyingly i don't have it to hand but they the report said that the number one emotion that generates the most engagement, the most shares on social media is rage. So that's what the algorithm's yeah, giving you. Yeah, I'm actually doing you PhD work at the moment enraged. on uh, in ethics and new technologies, focusing on social media right. companies. And that's exactly, yeah, the Facebook files that came out from uh, Francis Haugen, the whistleblower, basically showed that right. they were optimizing for things like outrage, lust, um basically the most toxic emotions like anger the things that would keep people on the longest addiction um and that that was becoming like there's an interesting anecdote actually that you said that buzzfeed actually like buzzfeed the most clickbait ridiculous thing reached out to facebook and were like the articles we are most ashamed of do the best on your site you have a massive problem with your algorithm because you are just promoting the worst (laughs) stuff for people like BuzzFeed. I know, but at the same time, BuzzFeed, BuzzFeed does not have a leg to stand on because they're the one writing those <laughs> yeah, articles like the moral and publishing ground. those articles. I love the moral high ground. It's just so hilariously hypocritical because it's like, yeah. I wrote an absolute dog shit article and you keep promoting it everywhere. Why are you doing <laughs> yeah, that? It's like, what, what is your problem? Why did, why did you write it? Why did you yeah. write it, bestie? You know, like you have to go back to the source here. Um, no, but I mean, I think... Um, Things like I think things like BuzzFeed as well. They've kind of um, they were really running an empire for a while there, you know, with the quizzes and with the listicles and all that kind of stuff. But they um, then became kind of a parody of themselves. I mean, I'm a very progressive person, but I feel like BuzzFeed then almost became I don't even know if they are because like I said I'm a progressive person who do, I don't engage with BuzzFeed literally at all but they've become this I th- their reputation now precedes them so far that they're this like parody of progressivism and they're also literally just nothing but clickbait and again I don't even engage with BuzzFeed so I don't even know if that's true but I think that BuzzFeed then turning to Facebook and saying how dare you promote pro- like promote the worst articles we've written it's like yep yeah, you're the one who wrote those articles you have yeah. con- you have completely caused your own downfall like Facebook just yeah. helped it along and also you don't have to be on Facebook very true yeah. i mean that's something i struggle with as well and i suppose you're creating content online and like i've done all this work on social media and all of the evidence suggests that it's absolutely terrible for society and individuals and like there are good sides yeah. to it but and i mean lots of good yeah, sides to be fair, and that I don't think... get talked about enough but i don't i can find it hard to reconcile mm-hmm. using social media and putting things out there but i guess there are good examples as well i wonder what you think about it there are there are a lot of good examples um i think um you know i think if, if i can think of something i just love what i actually really want to do with empire's end is i want to mm. just 
I think knowledge of history is a really important thing for everyone to have. So I want to learn more about history myself and I also want to be able to communicate history in, a, yeah. in as accessible of a way as possible. Um, I have no interest in sharing my opinions on things. I know that nobody cares. So I can think one thing about, I don't know, some what's some topic that I've given my opinion on? I mean, I canvassed for the repeal the eighth movement, right? You know, I'm pro-choice. Mm -hmm. Nobody cares. Nobody cares that I'm pro-choice. I think what's much more interesting is investigating. And, and if someone is pro-life, I also don't care. Like, congratulations. It's none of my business. Um, but I think what's actually much more interesting in that is looking at, you know, the facts behind, you know, why the referendum happened and what the history of, you know, women's reproductive rights or lack thereof or whatever you want to call it is you know I think actually opinions there's there's a lot of opinions around on the internet at the moment and I think you can get sucked in particularly to people who have really 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 strong opinions um you can kind of follow them almost like a pied piper or like a leader whereas I think if you just look at you know the facts of like okay again to use the example of abortion the women in ancient Rome had a herb called silphium which caused miscarriage and they used it so much that it went extinct like they literally used it to extinction so you know mm. I mean that's not that's not a pro-life or a pro-choice stance it's just a fact you know so that to me is a lot more interesting so I think if you focus on like the realities of the world that we're living in rather than everybody having to have an opinion on everything I think I think you can get a lot further so I think factual content on social media can be really useful and um i think being able to get news easily that to me is a actually no i was going to say that it was a good thing i think the 24-hour news cycle uh, yeah i mean a, to answer a for. constant anxiety yeah. of the next big yeah thing. in terms of whipping up whipping up panic you know i mean like i think a lot mm. of people i'm very lucky i don't i'm not really a very like ang ang i'm not a particularly anxious person but i know that a lot of people who have bad anxiety really got terrible anxiety from the daily covid figures and you know the um on cnn they famously had that covid tracker death constantly going like every time Man, someone like supposedly died of covid like... yeah it was like i remember <laughs> do you remember dram dramageddon with james charles and tati westbrook or did you no. not follow that no, I don't, don't right, think. Right, no, I you, okay. What, what's it about? I remember sitting in my old, well, basically there's this, I'm not going to get into it because it's far too boring, but there's this YouTuber called James Charles who got into mm -hmm. beef with another YouTuber called Tati Westbrook. And what happened was okay. he ended up losing about 3 million followers and she ended up gaining about 5 million. And there were these websites <sighs> that had like, it was full-blown Black Mirror stuff, full-blown, <laughs> yeah. where they had like James Charles numbers on one side going down and Tati Westbrook's numbers on the other side Jesus going up. Christ. But I remember having it on my, open on my, on my, com yeah, open on my computer at work and I'd be like, um, you know, intermittently clicking onto it and then putting it on my close friends instagram story being like oh my god james charles down another 100k girlos you know and it was kind of like just getting involved with the drama so i think things like that can be unbelievably toxic because at the end of the day james charles at the time now i'm not a fan of james charles but at the time he was you know a 19 year old child essentially going through this incredible public meltdown that like you know the world of constantly needing new information was Give, like showing his downfall in real time on like a graph <laughs> it's kind um, of like a coliseum so think, or something of like the internet or like we're all cheering on a it, person's yeah, it's like, it's, demise publicly it's yeah it's the circus maximus i swear i swear down twitter is the modern day circus maximus you know people are like yelling 100%. from yelling and throwing tomatoes and all this kind of stuff 
again it it comes back to like you know human nature just hasn't changed and we think we're so much more sophisticated than the people who mm. sat in the circus maximus and threw tomatoes at the gladiators but we're not because we do so the same true. thing on social media 100 mm. percent. if they had social media technology they'd probably be i don't know if they even would be as bad like that's if somebody asked me about that before they were like do you think people have just like gotten worse like in modern times or something i was kind of like i'm pretty sure if any generation had this technology they'd be absolutely mental yeah no a hundred percent i mean no there's never been a time just brutality has um manifested itself differently you know like we have Mm. less you know we don't have poor enslaved people fighting lions anymore but we do have like public humiliation on a scale that is completely unprecedented like one of my favorite youtubers um she just makes film criticism she's not she's gone now um her name is Lindsay ellis and she tweeted literally the most ridiculous thing like something about comparing one cartoon to another cartoon and she got trolled so badly for supposedly being racist because they were both asian in style both cartoons Mm -hmm. um and um she got trolled so badly that she's had to like completely quit the internet she has a million subscribers on youtube and she's gone completely left because she couldn't handle the human brain is not equipped to handle yeah being piled on by a million people on social media how do you even conceptualize that like a million people like like imagining they're showing up to your house like there's like (laughs) it's it's just yeah we're not ready are we unfortunately no imagine if they showed up to your house like if you imagine like the crowd like you know if you click on someone's name and they're trending and it says like three hundred thousand tweets it's yeah. like uh, if you imagine like three hundred thousand people with a tomato in their hand like imagine getting hit with three hundred thousand rotten tomatoes you can't because you would die like your body would just your body would check out be like okay right no like i was done after yeah i was done after like you know a hundred i was done after like fifty thousand tomatoes you know like i was completely checked yeah, out but like maybe. you know verbally you can still keep piling on yeah it's 50,000 DMs but just destroying you. 50. <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny because, yeah, no, it's just it's just really interesting. I, I always think, you know, we think we're a lot more sophisticated than the people in the ancient world, but, you know, th- we're kind of not. We're really the same. So that's why, in my opinion, it's important to have a, as good of a knowledge of history as you can have because history is so cyclical. 100%. And there was an interesting thing, actually, that I thought of before, which is, you probably know this, but it's, only 82 generations since the ancient greeks so that's like 82 people in a queue if you think about it so it's just like one after another that's like you know a busy night in tesco like it's really not that (laughs) far back in you know terms i know and i have heard that before and i yeah and and i think what's really interesting is to think how many people back would we completely stop understanding each other's like mm. world at you know because if you Probably went like back two, like two man my grandparents struggle with like <laughs> they kind of help me young <laughs> well i would say and stuff like. yeah no 100 percent. i my grandparents are all unfortunately passed away now but like if, if you're thinking even like properly if you think like four people back like oh like you know my what is it great 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 grandmother like Mm. she and i have such vastly different worlds that we live in and if i try to say anything to her like she won't physically understand it and then if she tries to say something to me i'll be like what like yeah it's (laughs) so interesting just a meeting of like (sighs) two two strangers in the street like 
using yeah. slang and, and also like and they wouldn't have a clue <laughs> yeah and talking about what school did you go to and she'll be like what are you talking about <laughs> i grew up in poverty in the west of ireland <laughs> what school did i go to god lucky for some you went to school did you like yeah yeah you know like one no, the, person the that went of... to school that'd be about it yeah no the thought of the 82 people in the queue is really interesting um but yeah no that well that's i mean that's what i find so interesting about history that it's so different and yet so the same because you could talk to someone and initially you'll have nothing in common but like ultimately then like you'll still understand the same facial expressions and you'll still understand the same like you know you'll still react the same way to rhythm and music and um you know if someone dies you'll still have the same emotions you'll still have grief if something's funny you'll both laugh um so even though you know I'm able to go to school and wear leggings and my great, 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 great grandmother couldn't do either of those things. We're more the same than we are different. Mm. Yeah, I think there's a, the makings of a good movie there, possibly like a kind of Freaky Friday, but like through time. Um, and that, yeah, the connection of the history there, there's um, there was something else that I wanted to touch on, but I've now completely forgotten what it is. Um, but the universality actually of human nature and that, that creates a feeling mm. of like, you know, the way they talk about like stories, like all the mythologies of different cultures and you can kind of stack them up against each other. And there's these patterns yeah. and kind of a universal history there that I think I can see in the Greek stories. Anyway, I feel that sort of like you can see it very clearly in those um, echoes of a universal yeah. human nature or something we're all a part of. Yeah. Well, do you know, um, do you know Joseph Campbell? Yeah, as a yeah, playwright, yeah, you probably do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The no, the the, the monomyth, um, the hero of a thousand faces. Yeah, I think that that's a really interesting one, um, because mm-hmm. the whole of everyone in the whole of Disney, Walt Disney was a classicist. You don't realize it. You know, he may yeah. not have even no, he did. He he knew that he he knew exactly what he was doing. He was a very 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 intelligent man, flawed but very smart when it came to what yeah, he was, he was doing. A massive racist, um, wasn't he? He didn't. Huge, yeah huge 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 racist yeah big anti-semite as well i think yeah, um that was not it. to slander anyone who's died i don't i don't obviously know any of that for a fact i was in disneyland Disney, last week actually heard. as well but <laughs> were you shouldn't be supporting yeah. this man and his no i no i have a fun fact about <laughs> no i have a fun fact about walt disney i'll tell you in a second but um the interesting thing about the hero with a thousand faces is the exact same story the famous so for anyone who doesn't know, the the monomyth is a 12-step. I don't think I have the 12 steps in my head right this second, but it starts with like you meet the hero in the ordinary world and then there's the call to adventure and then there's the resistance to the call, then there's the meeting of the mentor and then there's the, the step there's off the, the ledge. the crossing of the threshold like, there, yeah. The crossing of the threshold, that's what it is. That was my step off the ledge. And then um, the seizing of the sword, the dark night of the soul, the return to normality and then like, you know, the acceptance of kind of like the... Yeah, like the the, the triumphant the return gold, and then yeah. the return to ordinary life. Yeah, it's it's something like that. I can't remember the exact twelve steps. You should definitely Google them. But um, it is the but the stories that famously follow these exact twelve steps of the monomyth are the stories of Jesus, Moses, and the Egyptian god Osiris. But it's also in the Lion King. It's in Frozen. It's in Moana. It's in like Die Hard. Like if you watch any film, yep. that exact narrative structure happens again and again and again and human beings keep responding and responding and responding to it um so that's another really great example of universality really interesting fact about walt disney 
that I found out recently. You know, do you remember everyone used to go on about like the kind of conspiracy theory that he was cryogenically frozen? Yeah, it was not like a. Do you remember that one? Inspiration for Futurama or something? <laughs> he like froze himself well, in time. Yes, partly, but also the most googled thing about Disney was Disney frozen so they came up with the idea that they were going to make a film called frozen so when people googled disney frozen the whole conspiracy theory of him being frozen would die and they came up with that's a conspiracy theory (laughs) right there is that true (laughs) this is what i've heard this is what um i i I doubt it's verifiable but this is what i've heard that um the most Mm. common disney search that they wanted to get rid of was disney frozen and uh so they came up with they were like right we're making a film it's called frozen do your thing come up with whatever you want and the geniuses over at modern disney animation studios came up with what we now know and love as frozen and that conspiracy theory has basically disappeared like you don't hear anyone talking about it anymore no and it, it was on it was in off, snl skits 10 really. years ago yeah because it was huge like um it, it was in snl skits like 10 years ago i saw this interview with this girl called abigail disney and the first she was like i'm gonna answer the most common questions first first no he's not frozen and second yes as a disney i got to go to disneyland for free so they, if that yeah. was their plan did, with Frozen, it very much worked. It was very successful. Man, the best marketing. Again, Frozen follows the ever. monomyth. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Yeah, the monomyth is an interesting one because I guess it reflects that kind of universal human thing of like seeking goals and then you face obstacles. Mm. Eventually you get the goal, transformation. The individual transforms, brings it back to the community, new information. And that that's kind of like the human story. I think the Greek plays are interesting yeah. in that sense because they're always tragic. Like they're always like, you know, Oedipus mm. learns the lesson, but it's at a very high cost, and ultimately is like it's so sad. Yeah, destroyed. and I think an interesting yeah, and I mean, what we were saying about ancient Greece being a little bit on the sexist side. I was just reading about Medusa mm. today, and the story of Medusa, which most people don't know, and which I myself did not know up until recently, mm. is that Medusa was raped by poseidon in the temple of athena so she went Mm. to athena and said poseidon raped me in your temple and athena who was written as an absolute bitch in this story was like how dare you shag in my temple and turned her into a monster gave her the snake hair and then she was then slain heroically by perseus so she wasn't a monster at all she was just a you know a woman who went through something terrible and then something even more terrible because you know, it's 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 just a really interesting, really warped perspective because it's such a sad story. And it, I mean, it doesn't obviously follow the monomyth or anything like that, but um, mm. it's not what I mean. The thing, it's something, it's something that's on that vein. Something that's interesting to me about the Bible is how much it's been mistranslated. Any ancient texts, like they've been, everyone has put everyone who's translated them has put their own stamp on them, in whatever different yeah. way. Um, Which I think is a good and a bad that, thing in the sense that it mm. adds to it because it gets refined over time. Like people go, oh, this is a good bit, yeah. this is a shit bit. And it gets edited by generations almost and gets like refined. Yes. But then again, also propaganda slips in and, you know, who knows if it's the original text at all. But it, I think um, it also gives it this kind of vetting or something that people actually definitely or looked at it Um, yeah even a modern epic adaptation is the lord of the rings tolkien's lord of the rings book to film Mm. yeah yeah they took all they they trimmed out all the fat and they just left the great stuff yeah yeah 
and they turned the Hobbit into three movies, and they fucking sucked. I apologize to they were terrible. people who might And also, they were awful. No, if you enjoy The Hobbit, like you need to look at your life, look at your choices. That was grow not up. not act the cinematic content. Grow up, act your age. Um, and you know the new Lord of the Rings? They're not using any of the books. It's a whole new story. The Amazon Lord of the Rings. I don't know. I'm scared. I don't think I could watch I it. I think it's gonna be. I'm afraid to watch it. I've got I've got one of my friends signed up to <laughs> watch the whole thing it. with me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, butchering great things. Yeah, it is a shame because there's a lot I of know. stuff nowadays that I feel like in storytelling and stuff has been very watered down or isn't, you know, as authentic as it could be. Um and that sometimes the temptation is to go back to the the old stories that are that's kind of, that was my interest in the the Oedipus story was that how could you take that old story put it in a modern context and could it still be true like you know what i mean could that happen today could this yeah. is it and could it represent something that's more complicated than that like willful ignorance blindness mm. um and how well is that yeah i mean and possible? i yeah i think um i think if you were going to write any version of oedipus it would ring true because it's just too interesting someone trying to avoid the hand that fate has dealt them and by trying to avoid it running straight into it and causing their own downfall because they tried to avoid the downfall that had been foretold for them is just so interesting i think you can do that it's one of those it's again it's it's weirdly one of those universal stories it kind of comes back to the huge questions that we all have of how much Mm. free will do we actually have you know because oedipus thought he had free will but in fact he was everything he thought he was doing to avoid his fate everything everyone thought they were doing to avoid his fate they all Mm. pushed him directly into it and the irony of it as well like tiresias the blind wise man that tells him you know it was you you're screwed and then he ends up becoming blind i wonder do you know any of the myth of tiresias the interesting have you ever heard the one that he became like he switched he became female because he kicked a snake or he kicked two snakes that were copulating in a mountain so he got turned into a woman for seven years and had a family and like babies and everything and then he got turned back well there's a couple of different yeah there's a couple of different versions of that myth i know Mm -hmm. that version with the snakes and then i also know the version where um zeus and hera asked him or maybe this was after this then they asked him who has like a more what's a better sexual experience sex as a woman or sex as a man because again the ancient greeks were all about the eros um and he said sex as a woman so then zeus gave him some punishment i think turned him back in like again his punishment was being turned back (laughs) into a woman i think he turned him back into yeah yeah maybe that was how he got blinded but yeah no it was interesting um and i think um what's interesting is because obviously i have like um i have my page my classics page is randomly growing quite fast i mean it's not huge or anything like that but um yeah it's grown so quickly for since you've started it like it's doing so well yeah it's 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 quite random it's great but it's really interesting because there's like kind of two types of classic fans there's very classics fans there's very um progressive classics fans and there's very conservative classics fans and what's really interesting Mm -hmm. to me is um uh, the really conservative uh, accounts that I see following me that are like, you know, can't wait to have my 10 virgins, my 10 blonde virgins in Valhalla. And it's like, and then they're talking <laughs> about like, the, like yeah, I know it's, are, it's, are these it's Norse bizarre. <laughs> That's incredible. There's a lot of, there's a lot around. of Americans. There's a lot of 
there's a lot of Americans who idolize North Morse mythology in a really weird way. Um, and That's a subculture also, I'm not a part of. I know. Yeah, very interesting. I know. And I'm trying to stay as far away from that subculture as possible. Um, but, you know, thank you for following my page, I guess. Um, but <laughs> um, what's interesting is they're, they're interpreting. There's a lot of um, gender fluidity in particularly Norse mythology. Because, you know, it's just interesting really? to me because, you know, those those guys would be the ones who'd be like Thor's hammer and like the strength of Loki. And it's like, Loki was like changing back and forth and was like the most, you know, what you would call non-binary person ever. And you're here worshiping him as like an idol of masculinity. It's like, he's, he's an idol of many things, but like your version of masculinity, I don't think so. Yeah. Like kind of like Hermes. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Hermes is a great one, man so interesting like i i love yeah. hermes in jungian psychology he equated hermes to attention to the way your attention flits around uh, and how certain things are salient to you over other things and he thought that yeah. that was uh your future mm. self calling to you through your attention which is what hermes the messenger of the gods basically carried these messages God. from the conscious to the unconscious I, mind mm, which is pretty cool god I mean that yeah that does make a lot of sense and I think the unconscious mind is um I don't know a lot about Jungian psychology my dad is really into Jungian psychology like he's a proper oh, yeah? scholar of Jung um yeah 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 um but um I think the unconscious mind is a lot more powerful than we really realize it is like so kind of earning your own trust by doing things i'm trying to do that at the moment i've done a couple of sports challenges over the past couple of years like um Mm -hmm. the end of the middle of last year i felt quite unmotivated so to like motivate myself i went and ran a marathon and then it's funny because it makes doing it it makes doing things a lot easier because then you I, th- I feel like you're programming your subconscious mind to say i decided to do that and i did it so then mm-hmm. it'll make you do other things so i don't yep. know about the attention thing with hermes i hope that my attention span is not a predictor of my future because like oh my god i have to work really hard to pay attention <laughs> yeah, to things like well, he was, but i feel know, like our whole generation does as well really interestingly yeah All the he's a medicine man worshipped hermes yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah and i mean the yeah well doctors now even they have his staff with the snakes don't they or is it mm. chemists i think it's chemists yeah i think that's the oh uh, well it's not the hermetic oath or something no it's something they're hermetic hippocratic hippocratic, hippocratic oath yeah hippocratic oath i think it's For somehow doctors. connected to that but um yeah. it's so these stories go so deep man that's the more i looked at them the more i learned like i learned the story of tiresias because I was using him as a character in the book, as like a mentor character. And so I started learning about him more. And then you get into the gender changing thing. And then other stories where he was like turned into a rat, turned into like an elephant, turned into a man, turned into a woman. You're like, what is going on yeah. here? Like, what does this mean? <laughs> it's yeah, so fascinating. Well, no prophets, no prophets in... Um... Yeah, no prophets in mythology ever have a good time. I think my favorite is Cassandra, you know, the princess of Troy, oh, yeah. the who foresight, was given the yeah, who was <laughs> yeah, the curse of Apollo, where she would accurately predict the future and nobody would believe her. So she was the only Man. one. She was like screaming and beating on the wooden horse as they were wheeling it into Troy. She was like, "This is going to be our downfall." It's I know it's full going to be our downfall. Of people. Everyone was like, <laughs> 
Yeah, he, she was like, I know that we're all going to get murdered by like this horse. And they were like, it's a wooden horse. Shut the fuck up, Cassandra. And she, she was right. Free. I think that that's interesting. Yeah, because again, it's this constant musing on the push-pull of fate versus, you know, free will. And how using your free will will never actually change your fate. Like the Troy was Well, that's always the fall. twist, isn't it? Like what you think you should do yeah. in a sense always becomes inverted or like there's a weird kind of... Mm nature like flouts what you want to have happen yeah. or like yeah your good <laughs> but there's so, there's so many it. times yeah mm. there's so there's so many times that that yeah happens i mean even it's it's so interesting because um when i did my when i did my marathon back in september i didn't do it as part of i went i went to greece and i ran from marathon ancient battlefield to the acropolis like to do the original Sick. route that the you know the famous messenger Deputies mm. did and um i just wanted to run from the ancient battlefield to the acropolis i wanted to run the route but then when i got there my run keeper um my app on my phone told me that i'd only done i think it was 22 miles from the yeah. battlefield to the acropolis so even though we'd been following like the markers along the way which tell you you know they, they mark out the famous athenian marathon route along the way and my mm. app on my phone was off it was not in sync with what was going along the road and my crazy brain you know 20 plus miles of running in was like no i've made it this far i said i was going to do 26 miles so I, I ran laps around the acropolis when i got to the acropolis to try and reach 26 <laughs> miles and i ended up doing instead of 26 miles i ended up doing i ended up doing 31 and a half miles which is 50 kilometers so instead of doing a regular marathon i ended up doing an ultra marathon That's so again that was David me Goggins trying shit. <laughs> yeah it's mad but i think what's interesting about it in this context is it was me trying to reach one destination but actually doing something entirely different that i didn't intend to i had no intention of running 50 kilometers that's way too long but that's what i did you know it's just so funny yeah that's unreal but it's <laughs> i mean and particularly doing it in greece i'd say it was pretty atmospheric in like i know a guy yeah. john o'regan who's a an ultra runner and he did the sparathlon which is the run from i follow Sparta him on greece. instagram the spartathlon yeah i follow yeah, him on he's instagram. a good friend of mine. i've yeah. known him for a long mm. time um, amazing guy cool. my dad did a documentary about yeah. that about him running it but like he was awake for like three days like hallucinating i really want to do the spartathlon i really want to do the spartathlon yeah well i mean oh, you man. know famously you in herodot give, give him a message yeah. Yeah. no definitely well famously you famously hallucinate when you run too far and i think probably the reason that i kept running after because i'm not an ultra runner and i didn't train that much for the marathon i should have trained a lot more for it than i should it's fine in retrospect because i finished it and it was whatever but um yeah. i think probably the reason that i kept running was a, was a touch of like you know because it was really hot like by the time i got to the acropolis it was like 12 o'clock it was like midday athenian heat and you know the way heat in a city really hits different Jesus. um and it was early september mm -hmm. it was my birthday 7th of september um so i think probably the reason i kept running was a bit of kind of heat and exhaustion induced like crazy that i just kept going and i insisted on not yeah. stopping because in Her herodotus's account of phaedipides run of the spartathlon from athens to sparta which is 153 miles he, t he had no water breaks he didn't stop at all he just ran the whole way he did it in under 30 hours and part of the reason that the greeks won the battle um against the persians they were at number three to one at the battle of marathon 323 bc i think it was um was because Phaedipides 
had a hallucination, like a full hallucination where he had a conversation with Pan, who was the half goat satyr god of Mm. nature up on the mountain between Athens and Sparta. And Pan said to him, you're the Greeks are going to win this battle. Tell the Spartans that I'm on the side of the Greeks. And the reason you really wanted Pan on your side is because Pan had the power to put in to put a sort of a blind a blinding fear into the army he wanted to lose um panic so he had this power of giving (laughs) the opposite army Mm. panic like panic attacks essentially and they were that's where that word comes from panic so after this hallucination or maybe he actually saw pan who knows um Phaedipides went to the Spartans and he went to the Greeks and he was like, Pan's on our side, we're going to win. And they did, probably through the power of psychology. They were outnumbered three to one and they won the battle because they thought they That's had Pan like, on their side. Who was going to... What? It's one of those Greeks. Yeah. It's like a Greek story, but an actual fact one that happened. Like it is so yeah. like the thing. I mean, who knows if like, I mean, you know, all these gods and goddesses could be real. Literally, who knows? Least of all me. I don't personally believe that Phaedipides actually saw Pan on the mountain, especially because it's a really well-documented thing that you do hallucinate during ultra runs. I think, like I said, that I definitely got a touch of the crazies. Yeah, I well, I definitely got a touch of the crazies after, you know, 25, 26, 27 miles between Marathon and Athens. Um, I was fully like gone a little bit loopy. Um, But that particular hallucination literally you know won a huge war like it's just mad isn't it they thought that this like half man half goat was going to paralyze the opposite army with panic so they like knew they could win and they did and you know you hear stories of like generals will be like okay we're gonna throw it up to fate you know i think i think even hannibal crossing the alps said to the army he was like we're gonna throw it to fate i'm gonna flip this coin if it comes up heads we're gonna win we're gonna go over the alps we're gonna charge if it comes up tails we might as well just turn back now because I know the gods are not on our side. And then he flipped the coin, it would come up heads and the army would be like, and then it would come out afterwards that both sides of the coin were heads. So he was just using it as a motivational technique. (laughs) It was just a pure like sleight of hand. Man, unbelievable. Completely. Kind of reminds me, I'm reading the Ton at the moment. I don't know if you know the Ton Bokulig. The uh, Irish kind I haven't of mythological read it, no. cycle. Yeah. Um, but very oh, similar thing. T-A-I-N. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Tawn. I thought you were saying Tawn as in T A W N. I was like, hmm, what's that? No, I know the Tawn. Yeah. 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 No, the kind of, and well, a similar kind of thing that, you know, with Cucullin, whereby all the men of Ulster were paralyzed and he was the one who had to go and fight Queen Maeve mm. and her army from Connacht. But that, that was based on, actually, I don't know if that was a kind of similar thing, but it just reminded me of that anyway. And there's kind of possibly again the monomyth thing that you get these kind of echoes of, similar cultures even though the irish one's probably older i'd say than the ancient greek stuff it's almost like it's definitely at least as old definitely yeah because they were running kind of co-currently yeah Mm. well okay well then if it's ten thousand, then the ancient irish stuff is older but newgrange is about the same age as the pyramids and as about the same age as the acropolis like we're a very ancient country here in our little tiny corner of the northern atlantic (laughs) (laughs) native people but actually we've gone over time here on our own sorry i won't detain you any longer but where can people find you and where would you like people to go to look up your stuff yeah so at the moment um you can find everything you need to find through my instagram which is empires underscore end awesome and i would encourage people to check it out because it's got the best ancient memes around and amazing (laughs) facts and stories as you've heard here 
So it's just, it's unreal. Like, I've been enjoying it so much. And I hope you keep doing it because it's <laughs> awesome. I hope you enjoyed that interview. As always, if you want to stay in touch, follow along on Spotify, subscribe on YouTube, follow me on Instagram at Mahan underscore McCann, leave a donation and send me loads and loads of money. I will also accept NFTs, but only if they're worth billions. Stay real, you heard. Peace. Thank you.